Hello and welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies we haven't seen. And this is the fourth and final episode of Never Scream It. So I hope you enjoy our, albeit temporary, branding for this last episode. I'm one of your hosts, Betsy. With me, as always, is Trent. I'm here too. You are here. So yes, we are doing our fourth and final episode of Never Scream It for 2022. Yeah. We are watching the 2018 movie Hereditary. We promised we were going <laughs> to watch Hereditary last year after so many people suggested it to us. And by the time we got the suggestions, we were already done with the show. Too late. Too late. So we held on to him for this yes, year. Yes, we promised we were going to do it. And here it is. Yes. So we have neither of us yep. seen this movie. Yep. Neither of us have seen it. And... For the most part, we have avoided anything about it still, um, so why don't we just get into it here? So Trent, do you know anything about Hereditary? So it's Tony Collette, and Gabriel Byrne, and some other people. There are other people in this movie! And I think this is all surrounding a family. Well, judging from the poster, it's her and a little girl. Yeah. And then, like, a creepy skeleton bird or some shit like that. I don't so, know. I'm going with creepy child. <laughs> well, that kind of goes along with the territory when it comes to, like, like family creep shows. Well, and it's called Hereditary, thing. so it has something to do with family. We yeah. just don't know. Is it the family is haunted? Are they haunted by their family? Are they possessed by the spirits of their deceased family? Are there, like, demon children? Are they reincarnated in the small human? I don't have any idea. We don't know. The one thing I do know about this movie, and I've heard this many times before, is that Tony Collette was robbed an Oscar nomination. <laughs> yes, I've heard the same thing, and, you know, it would be kind of a coup for someone an actor an actress to be nominated from a horror movie have you ever heard of somebody being nominated for a horror movie no and i think it's bullshit because there are plenty of movies that elevate the genre and yeah. as i understand it this is one of them people have been nominated for comedies Absolutely. plenty of times won. and people yeah. have won yeah. for doing comedy marissa tomei Deserve to win that. Kevin Klein deserved yeah. to win it. Yeah. Melissa McCarthy got nominated and that put her, her on the map. Yeah. 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 So I don't understand this hoity toity bullshit about yeah, well, how well, it has to be a drama. You can't you can't nominate Tony Collette for Hereditary. It's a scary bullshit. movie. But as I understand it, she is working her ass off. We have talked about her on this show before. And she's having a big renaissance. She really is. She's an incredible actress, and I fully support not having seen this movie that she should have been nominated. <laughs> <laughs> and we will recap all that at the after we watch it. So, I also mentioned Gabriel Byrne. Now, most people know Gabriel Byrne from one movie, from The Usual Suspects. Most people do. Yeah, I would say most people know him from that. I had not seen that movie until I started dating Betsy. Um, but the thing I knew him from prior to that was a little-watched TV series on HBO called In Treatment. From the early mid-aughts? Yeah, it was like... 2009, 2010 okay. is when it started. And I think there were like three seasons with him. And then it was just rebooted recently with another person. But the premise of the show is one episode every day 
five, five days a days. week. <laughs> so the first four episodes of the week, Monday through Thursday, is a different patient. Him he, having a session. He is a psychiatrist, psychologist, who is having a session with a patient. Each day is a different patient. Friday, the episode is him going to see his own psychologist. His own therapist. His own yeah. therapist, exactly. So it's, a, I mean, it's made for a person like me who loves dialogue. Because the entire thing is just dialogue. It's him in the office and the patients coming inside. But it's That's, out of his house, so it's like yeah, a casual it, office. Yeah, it is this, um, it's very homey, very casual I, I like if I was going to therapy, I would want to go to a place like this. <laughs> but I really, really like that the first couple of seasons of that show. I did not watch the third season because I heard it was kind of crap. So I guess that's why they cancel it after three seasons with him. So the thing I know him from is the 1994 Little Women. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's in that. And then while we're on the topic of horror movies, I think probably a lot of people know him from Stigmata. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he was in that in like the late 90s, like yeah. 98, 99 that came out. Yeah. And he's like the big name in that. Yes, he's the star of that. Yeah. And then I know the kid who is in this movie oh, is the same kid who was in Pig. Oh, is it Alex Wolf? Is that I his name? I have no idea. Anyway, same guy. He's in this movie. And then the little girl who is probably an unknown because that's how it works best for these sure. kinds of movies. Sure. Uh, I don't really know anything else about this. I'm going to go ahead and assume this is an A24 joint because everything it seems like <laughs> we've been watching lately is from that production company. Yeah. Uh, but do you know anything else? Anything about no. what has happened? Nope. Nothing. Nope. Wow, so we're going in pretty blind. Haven't seen a trailer for it because why or if would we did? It why was would five we, years ago. Yeah, why would we seek out a trailer for a movie we're not going to ever see? Of course, this is before we had the podcast, so why would we seek that out? Right. <laughs> so yeah. With that, we are going to go and watch Hereditary, and we will be right back. Trent, it's a good thing we're not going to bed in the next, like, couple hours or anything. No, not at all. <laughs> wow, Betsy. What the fuck? That's a deeply disturbing film. <laughs> <laughs> but not as scary as I thought it was going to be. Like, it's more yeah. eerie and unsettling. Yeah. They, I believe, went out of their way to try to not be the cheap jump scares. Yeah, this it's, is it. There are some creepy things in here for sure, but just the overarching mood and sense of dread over everything. And I just read something that the director wanted to portray suffering. Like these people are yes. suffering. This woman is horribly. suffering, and it extends to the rest of the family. Yeah. Like, they start the movie, her mother has died, and we find out very soon after that not only has her mother died, 
But we read it in the credits. Like, even before you meet these characters, her dad is dead. Yeah. And her brother is dead. And we find out that dad starved himself to death. And her yep. brother killed himself. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, her mom had a... But they called it something else, but a split personality. Yes. Her dad was a manic depressive. Her brother has schizophrenia. That's according to what she says, yes. That's what she says. That's what, as far as she understands right. it. Right. And here's the, quote, only normal one in the family. Uh-huh. Who has had this really estranged relationship. And then it just goes downhill from there. So we start with the funeral. And then... There's a horrible fucking accident and then just wailing. There's just wailing and no sleep and nightmares and sleepwalking (laughs) and horrific visions of people like trying to kill you or you're trying to kill yourself. And it gets really hard to tell what's real and not. And a cult. Another cult. Because why not? And this is the same director we didn't mention in, in the intro. Same director who did Midsummer. Of course. That makes a lot of sense. And it is an A24. How did I know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> That's about all they do these days. But yeah, Betsy, this guy. Oh, this director. This guy's going somewhere. Aster, I think uh, it was. Yeah. 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 This guy's going somewhere because he knocked two movies out of the fucking park. They are two years in a row. And again, you and I don't, we are not drawn to these kinds of movies. Uh This is never the sort of thing I'm going to go pay money to see in the theater. Yeah. It is not my cup of tea, but I can appreciate it when I'm seeing it. And there's probably going to be so much more. I think about this movie as I kind of let it stew. Like you just were before we hit record mentioning some details about it and the mm-hmm. longer i'm sitting here processing it, it's like oh this means that and that means this and that's why that was happening <laughs> yeah, yeah every little detail is important and makes sense yeah but yeah this is this is a wild one <laughs> <laughs> yeah um like my my initial reaction here is i mean i agree with everybody saying tony collette good god she does literally everything in this movie from being the supportive mom trying to console her daughter, the struggling artist, the, you know, estranged wife, as it were. Like, yeah. there's definitely some distance between them. It also seems like like these people are loaded. Number one, yeah. they live in a giant house in the woods. Like a custom architect's dream a house. beautiful, beautiful <laughs> house. In the middle of Utah, and he is a doctor. They don't explain what kind of doctor, but he's, like, emailing somebody who is a psychiatrist at the end of the movie. So, yeah, there's a couple of things going on there that require, that allow her to be an artist and a stay-at-home mom. Well, and I would imagine she's also pretty successful, too, because she's got books out, and people are asking her for her work. Mm -hmm. And that stuff doesn't come cheap. No, she does miniatures. So, of course, the first shot of the movie is this weird miniature that (laughs) zooms in and becomes the real space because she's modeling them after real life. So that was a weird little opening, but an interesting touch. Yeah, and they only did it once. Yeah. Uh, But going back to Toni Collette, she also is, like, possessed at different Mm -hmm. degrees. So she's, like, a little girl that's scared and doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. She is horrified. She is 
terrified. There's so much screaming Just that comes wailing. out of that woman. Yes. But then there's the moment like her own husband lights on fire and she is just shocked and she is just not screaming not screaming it's silent horror and then dead in the face i'm assuming that's the moment she gets like possessed but well um, that that little flash of light goes goes over her oh i missed that oh yeah i missed that that little warble that is all over the place oh yeah yeah. i must have been looking down and writing a note when that that happened. happened but yeah it's just on a dime and she is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Oh, yeah. And I think, I had a thought while we were watching this. Toni Collette is an Oscar-nominated actress already, and she is the star of this piece. There's a lot of really great actors in this movie, but she is the star. When we're talking about Midsummer, Florence Pugh was kind of right on the rise because this came out about the same time as that movie. And she's getting to be a pretty big star now. And now she is also an Oscar-nominated actress. Mm -hmm. A part of me feels like people would appreciate the horror genre more if you got more people like this making horror movies. Because it's kind of the equivalent of people making Marvel movies. Like, you have these big name actors, like real gravitas, making a fucking comic book movie. And it works. That's the same thing, but they're doing horror and it works. Yeah. You need to sell it. You yeah. need to be It doesn't have you to, need be to be ridiculous. Believable. And so many horror movies have the cliche of, yeah, I'm gonna sign up these no-name actors off Young, the street beautiful somewhere, people. or I'm just gonna get my fucking friends and put them in the movie because I have no budget, or basically no talent hacks to just Whatever. make to run around and be sexy and scream. Exactly, that's the trope of these movies. And if you don't actually get real actors in here, you can't put the gravitas behind what you're trying to put on screen. You're totally right. So I I do call bullshit and shenanigans. I think it's ridiculous that she wasn't even considered. Yeah, totally. And just the idea that you don't get movies like this, there haven't been movies like this with big name actors. I mean, shit. I really hope that there's more of this stuff. And I, I just read something about the director. Apparently he has got... 10 screenplays. Oh, Lord. (laughs) He has 10 screenplays written down that he wants to direct in his career. All right. What other women can we uh, line up? Because these are like both female-fronted powerhouse horror movies that he has so far delivered. Right. Who else can we get? We'll we'll think about that one because I think there's some really talented people that after these two might actually be open to considering it. Right. That maybe wouldn't a few years ago. And considering the reception of these two movies just from a critical standpoint whether or not they make any money who cares no but like we just watched under the skin i think scarlett johansson would be at the top of my list of how was that director yeah it's like that movie is not relevant to any other human like it's just scarlett johansson (laughs) right but She's doing a very subtle performance. There's not a lot of dialogue there. You can carry a movie with an actress like that who has the ability to do the subtle moments very well. You also just have to be committed to what you're doing, but not play it as camp and horror. Like, I don't think... These movies, definitely not. No, this movie works because 
Tony Collette is reacting the way a real person would react. Yeah. In insofar as the the one thing that I was really bothered by, why does no one leave this house? There's horrible shit happening and we all just <laughs> stay put. It that is the number one like complaint I have is people buy into the it's my home and I'm not going to leave it <laughs> well, stereotype of horror movies. Right. And I think <laughs> I think the only like straight man if you want to call him that is Gabriel Byrne, yes. Steve. And at the end, he discovers the dead body in their attic after he remarks earlier, what's that smell? Oh, my God. Yeah, earlier in the movie, he just happens to mention something stinking. Right. But he's at the end saying, why didn't you call the police? He's the voice of reason. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only thing I can say about that. And he's trying to seek help for his wife. Like, he knows the kind of mental health yeah. issues that are he's running through his family. He is a doctor. He sees it all happening, but he's letting her go through her, her grief process, whatever that happens to be. Yeah, he thinks it's stemming from grief, and then it's turning into right. a breakdown. Right. And he doesn't want to be the one to come out and say it, but at the very end, before he goes up in flames, he says, I'm not going to do this. You need help. You really need help. But she's too far gone. She goes and yeets the book into the fire. <laughs> and he goes up in flames. Well, and you saw she like squirted the the paint thinner on the book. And it yep. got all over. It's like, well, this is going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do we think about the title of the movie? Man. I mean, it. this is not a condition. Like you, you talk about hereditary illness. This there's, is not a condition. There's a lot this of, is fucking cult shit. Well, there's a lot of meanings here because yes. because like there's little hints about the genetic line because yeah. when they have the little séance where Annie gets Peter and Steve and says, "No, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this." Peter is like, "You don't fucking feel that?" Like sure. he was receptive to it. He could feel it. And Steve is just standing there like, "What the fuck yeah. is going on yeah. with and you?" And this two? is all family related. Yeah. It's so all it's blood all, related. It's all I get genetics. That. So he's got it. Charlie obviously has it because yeah. you know she's seeing that light and there's like a woman burning shit in the woods. <laughs> I have no idea what that's about. We never get an explanation on that, nope. but it's not relevant. It's just to set up that this light thing is Sure. A thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you also have the the idea, like you said, of mental illness. Mental illness can mm-hmm. be genetically passed along. I get that. So if two parents both suffer from it, it makes sense that their children do and that their children do. Yeah. So that you've got her parents, you've got her and her brother, and you've got her children. And they're all affected in different ways but at the beginning of the movie they all just seem normal and you're right it's not so much that they actually have anything wrong with them but all of these events are kind of unlocking and triggering some really traumatic shit well all of these people all these family members are traumatized by grandma yeah and the and uh what was the other woman's name Joni. Joni. so Joni is the ringleader of this entire group but Let's we don't say. know that. But we twist. don't know that. So she is in charge of whatever it is that they're trying to do. They're trying to resurrect this fucking hell priest. <laughs> or whatever the fuck. King Pyman, the eighth, one of the eight kings of hell. <laughs> sure. Sounds cool. Sounds like a metal band <laughs> that I would be into. But so she has gotten Ellen, the grandma, into their little group. Grandma gets her husband into it. 
trying to like infect the males in her family. Yeah, so that that's the other hereditary thing is like she, it's it's a lineage thing. She is the queen. Right. And she's trying to get a king. And then her husband kills himself because he's like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. So then they try to possess her son and he, he kills himself because fuck this. Uh-huh. And then it skips down to her grandson and her granddaughter. Well, and before that, we knew about the grandson, but at the funeral, I mentioned this to you before we started, Charlie says, like at the funeral, she's saying, oh, I'm going to miss grandma. And grandma said... She wished that I was a boy so that there would be one more male in that lineage. And there's a whole thing here about Peter being kind of unwanted. It's weird. I didn't quite follow this whole thing. So there's a nightmare scene where Annie is sleepwalking and she basically confesses all her innermost thoughts. We don't know at the moment it's a, it's a dream, but she says, she says, I "I don't want to be a mother. I didn't want to be a mother. I tried to like have a miscarriage when I was pregnant with you. My mother forced it on me. She forced me to get pregnant. So this was all her mother's doing. And she didn't want to be a mother, so she tried to miscarry, but it didn't work. She had the baby anyway. And then there's a second child, and she she gives like a speech in the middle of the movie where she says she didn't let her mom near her son. Right. So she kind of cut off ties. So then when she had her daughter, she basically just handed the kid over and said, here, fine. Right. But because by, by then, she was living with them. Yeah. So there's a whole thing here about how grandma didn't really get an opportunity to pick which one of the grandkids, which is why she ended up with the daughter. Right. And like, she was like under her wing. Charlie was under grandma's wing. Mm -hmm. Being influenced. And yeah, her claws dug into her. (laughs) And like making the little figurines out of garbage. And you can see at the very, very end, there was this mannequin, let's say with mom's head on a pike. Uh, No, that was Charlie's head. That was Charlie's head. That was Charlie's head. Charlie's head. What the hell? Yeah, because Charlie is the new King Paimon. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, still. Still. (laughs) There's a lot of beheading that happens in this movie. Oh, yeah. Why? I'm not entirely sure. But again, it's a genetic thing because she's the only one that's allowed to have a head, I guess. Because grandma's head is decapitated. Yep. And mom cuts her own head off. Yep. Want to talk about something disturbing? I think that was the one that really got to you the most. That was fucked up because you hear this kind of squishy noise and you see her kind of floating in air and her palms are kind of going towards her head. And I was like, what is this? I thought she was stabbing herself and you're like, she's sawing her own head off. And I'm like, ah! Ah! (laughs) (laughs) And she's just got this horrified look on her face because she's not in control of her own body. And then they cut away before you actually see it happen, but you hear the thud. the thud of the head. Like her son is just staring at this. And when you hear that sound, he sees where the body was, where grandma's body was. Yeah. And he hears this kind of squishy wet noise it sounded like a monster that was eating something it sounded like a dog eating something or it it was like dripping like there was like some kind of like fluid wet something wet was happening behind him oh god and here's mom floating in the air sawing her own head off just looking at him with this like help me look in her eyes (laughs) 
that's messed up. Like most Academy Award nominated actresses won't commit to a role like this <laughs> when they read the script that says, oh, and by the way, you're going to saw your own head off. Yeah, by the way. By the way. Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. So I don't really know how you want to tackle this. We're kind of jumping all over the place. So uh, is there anything from earlier on in the movie that you found to be very relevant and go, oh, okay, by the time we got to the end? Well, the I I'm going to compliment the director a whole lot because this is his first feature film. And he is pointing out a whole lot of things throughout the the beginning part of the movie. You've got the stuff in the house after the funeral. You've got the symbol showing up everywhere. You get her seeing the, the man in the corner. The very first time when she's going and looking at books. Sorry. Oh, when mom sees, when she sees her mom. Was that her mom there? Yeah. She turns the light off and she sees a visage of her mother. Oh, that was okay. What whoever that was. Yes. I didn't know who that was, but Yeah, that was her mom. That's she was digging in her mom's stuff. Yeah. And she turned off the light and went, Mom? But when she turned on the light, she wasn't there. Okay. I didn't see who it was. I thought yeah. it was a dude. No, but no, anyway. That, no, I mean there are a lot of naked dudes like grinning in shadows yeah, in this movie that too. Was weird. <laughs> I didn't like that. No, but that was her mom. Okay. But yeah, he is just he's showing a whole lot of things here. He is setting up so many. I mean, obviously. At the funeral, Charlie is eating a chocolate bar and mom is saying, does that have any nuts in it? We don't have the EpiPen. Yeah, which also bothered me. Who the fuck is that allergic to nuts and doesn't uh -huh. carry that thing around with them all the time? I don't yeah. care that these two are teenagers. When you grow up with that, mm -hmm. I'd be willing to bet she's had at least one scare in her life. You never go anywhere without that EpiPen. Yeah, definitely. At the very least, somebody has to have one around. Anyway... Yeah, you have the, like the the scene that made me just go ah was them in the car. Because, oh yeah. So they're at the party. He's gonna sneak off to go get high. He's not watched, watching the little sister that he didn't want to bring with him anyway. Didn't want to bring anyway because he wants to go and smoke weed with the pretty lady. And Charlie goes over and stuffs her face with chocolate cake because you're a kid and that's what you do. Yep. But little does she know, it has walnuts in it. We yeah. see the girl chopping an obscene amount of walnuts. And, okay, here's my problem with this. Why are high school kids baking chocolate cake? I would assume that there's a, it's a special cake. I didn't see any weed anywhere. I also didn't see any weed. I would just say if they were going to bake, that is why they also, would be baking. Also, isn't the normal delivery mechanism for such a thing brownies? I don't know. They needed something that would look enticing for the small human <laughs> to find irresistible. And it's not like she goes into shock immediately. It takes no, a little bit of time. Totally. But again, why would you not have that EpiPen? Oh, good Lord. Anyway. But yeah, it gets really horrific really quickly. She's kind of wheezing and taking some yeah. water. She finds her brother and says... I, I it's can't, hard to breathe. Yeah, I'm having trouble breathing. It's like my throat's getting bigger. Sure, and that's something a kid would say. Yeah, and she's then in the car. He's speeding 100 miles an hour. She's convulsing and kicking and grabbing her throat. It's really and messed up. rolls the window down to get some fresh air, and all of a sudden... What was in the road? There was a dead deer in the road, and Charlie... Was or, it a dead or, deer? There's a dead deer in the road, and Peter has to swerve to miss it. But here's the thing. That was not an accident, Trent. 
We know this was not an accident because that pole was shown on the way to the party and it mm-hmm. had that symbol that's throughout the movie. Yep. And if he swerves at this exact moment, what's going to happen? Exactly. The walnut thing, I don't know about unless I, they have some plants in this party. I don't think that the thing being in the road and the pole being there, I don't think that was planned. I don't. It feels planned to me. I don't think so. But it, I, I take your point. It is a weird movie. I get that. I, It's hard for me to believe that. Mostly because why would that deer be in the very middle of the road in just you the right place? In the just way. the right place. You could have swerved the other way. Charlie could have been on the other side of the car. So many different things had to happen in order for that to happen. Well, and maybe she doesn't have the walnuts. Maybe she's not having a reaction. Maybe she doesn't roll the window down. They still could have hit the deer on the way home. Correct. So maybe this was destined to happen. I don't know. Yeah, but now I'm I'm, I'm questioning everything. All I'm saying (laughs) is that her having her head chopped off by the pole was not in the cards. I do believe that the that the deer was put there intentionally okay and yeah that poor kid peter it was an accident like as far as he is concerned this was an accident he was going as fast as he could to get his sister home to take care of her because he was freaking out and he's high where do these people live like the main house is up in the mountains i get that but where did peter go for this party is it another big ass house in the middle of the mountains in utah i guess so i mean think about where we live i have to imagine unless you live in salt lake city utah every other town is kind of like growing up around here where it's small town 20 minutes small town 40 minutes small town and there's nothing in between whereas in this city we can drive five minutes and hit a hospital yeah but if that's the kind of place that they live and they're up in the mountains yeah they had to drive maybe half hour, 40 minutes to get to this party. Yeah. They're nowhere near a hospital. Yeah. So he says to Charlie while he's driving, yeah, we're almost to the hospital. We're almost to the hospital. But he wasn't going to a hospital. He was trying to calm her down, which is all he can do because yeah. he's high and panicking. Yeah, I get that. He is high and panicking and he is driving home because he knows that there's an EpiPen there. Again, oh, that bothered me so much. But... After it happens, he just sits there crying yeah. and he can barely like look in the mirror. Like he's, he has one glance in the rearview mirror and sees a decapitated body. Yeah. And he's just catatonic from this point on. Yeah. He, he, he does dr- not sleep. He drives home. He leaves the body in the car. Doesn't say anything. He's just staring into nothingness until morning when mom goes out to the car to go run an errand or something. And then the wailing starts. And doesn't stop and for doesn't a stop. long time. And that scene of her on the floor with Gabriel Byrne behind her, my God, her her just it's completely convulsing on the floor. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever experienced when you're just having an absolute like meltdown or a panic attack like that as an adult, but that's how it feels is just full body. Like there are times where you are just so overcome that you can't help but collapse. Sure. It doesn't happen often in people's lives, thank God, because it's such an emotional... How else would you react to such a... To, to right. witnessing such a thing? Well, and how else would he have done it? Like, you, you would say, he could go to the police, he could go to the hospital, he could go inside and wake up his parents. None of those things would make a difference. He just lies down. 
Yeah. Because he's in shock. Yeah. And waits for them to find it. And what a horrible fucking way to find it. And then, of course, we get the shot of her decapitated head on the side of the road covered in ants. Oh, God. That was fucked up. You had to remind me of that. Yes, I did, Trent. Fuck yes, me. Yes, I did. I don't know if they needed to show that in such detail. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. There's people who do props for a living and they make things like that. Thumbs up, prop guys. God. Oh, what a weird career choice. <laughs> they even had like the the look of her face. Yeah. The look of her face is very unique. She has and a distinct she, face. She's, they got it. They got it. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's messed up. Yeah. There's a lot, like I said, a lot of decapitation in this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of creepy ghost shit and like, you know, spooky wind and... You know, things smashing. And at the end of the movie, Tony Collette is possessed and climbing the ceiling and like, just like weird. And of course, the way they light it, it's very dark. And then they just give you just enough light to uh-huh. notice and there is somebody in the fucking corner. <laughs> and I was like, Trent, who the fuck is in that room with him? And you're like, oh, it's her because she's wearing the same clothes. It's like, uh-huh. motherfucker. And when he turns around to look, she like spider crawls away. Right. <laughs> and then when he, she's chasing him through the house, he gets into the attic and she's smashing her face against against yeah. the ceiling in quick succession yeah. there is a lot of distressing stuff like that in this movie mm-hmm. like when it goes hard it goes real hard uh-huh. <laughs> so that's the movie <laughs> <laughs> uh just some some little things that we kind of discovered here uh we mentioned in, in the beginning so we talked about gabriel Byrne in the minute in, in the beginning of, of the show and I mentioned I knew him from a little show called In Treatment, where he plays a psychologist and blah, blah, blah. You can go look it up. It's a great show. But in that show, he has a son. And who plays his son, Betsy? Apparently Alex Wolf. Whoa. I didn't remember this at all because, of course, no. he was a wee babe at the time. He was he was a kid. Like nine, and eight. He, he did grow up as the as the seasons went on. But, yeah, we watched that when we started dating. So we probably haven't watched that show in about a decade. Yeah. You're going to start watching this show again, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I'm done watching The Newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> You're in season three. There's not much left. There's not much left. But, yeah, they apparently played father and son once before. And now they're reunited. I had yeah. no idea. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, it's been years since we watched that show, and I would would not have known. Um, you want to talk about the the clicking? Oh, the clicking. So yeah, they they're setting up these characters at the beginning of the movie, specifically Charlie, and they show her she's thirteen. She's definitely a little weirdo. Mm-hmm. She's always eating candy. And when she's sitting, and she's also drawing, she has a little sketchbook. Uh huh. And she's also like building these little model things. Yeah. Like garbage. They're like really disturbing, like junk things where it's like it would almost be interesting if you weren't being so weird right now. Right. But as she's like eating candy or drawing, she just goes, uh huh. Which that in and of itself is a weird thing for a character to do, but. It makes sense for later in the movie it is to identify to identify what is going on in that scene. And it is very apparent what is happening at the very end after Peter jumps out the window 
He gets up, and you can see the little warble of light around him. He is possessed. He gets up, and he clicks. He makes that noise. Yeah. And so you know exactly what's going on. Exactly. And he follows the headless flying corpse of his mother <laughs> up to the treehouse. Uh, you know how it is. Yeah, it was weird at the beginning because the first time they don't actually show her. You just hear it. And yeah. it's like, what it was is during that the noise? Funeral, yeah. yeah, she's at the funeral making that sound. And then they show her and dad's like, you know, stop, stop doing that. We're at right. a funeral kind of a thing. Right. And it's just one of those things that kids do. They they figure out they can do it, and they just keep on doing it. Well, I do that. I make weird little sure. noises. And sometimes you have to tell me to stop. Some of them you <laughs> don't like very much. And I'm just doing it like that, where it's kind of absent-minded. Sure. I figured out I could do it, and that's the way it is. Like, that one. Can you even make that noise? No. Yeah. Not like that. Yeah, that's how she's doing it. <laughs> sure. Um, so just talking about her as a character, she reminded me of another character in another show that I used to watch there's a character called Reggie in Dead Like Me. Yes. Where the thing about the show is that there is an 18-year-old girl who gets killed and becomes a Grim Reaper. Pilot. It's in the first episode. It's in the first episode. No spoilers. It's not a spoiler. It's the whole concept of the show. But she comes from a family with two parents and a little sister. The little sister is maybe, what do you think, six to eight years younger yeah, she's probably like early teens, tweens, early teens. Twelve. Young enough that when her 18-year-old sister died, she didn't give two shits about her because she was in her own little world doing her own thing. Exactly. Like, the older sister was very much, a, like, didn't want to have anything to do with her little sister and wanted to be the big kid and blah, blah, blah. The little sister looked up to her big sister like crazy, and after she died, tragically... She got a little fucked up. She has a lot of weird ways of dealing with her grief. Yes. And, and throughout the show, it's like she wants to try things like horseback riding and drum drumming and taxidermy. <laughs> yes. So she like finds dead birds and dead things. She gets obsessed with death. Yeah. And this little girl is like sitting in class one day. In this movie. In this movie. Sorry. Uh, this little girl, she's sitting in class and a bird just slams into a window and dies. You know, that happens. There's a couple of birds out front of our house right now that we, that happened to. Yes, too. we have a window that is yeah, there's somewhat, a bay window somewhat uh, attractive. susceptible attractive. to being smacked by birds. <laughs> I, it happened like two days ago. Oh, no. <laughs> You'll just be minding your own business and hear a thud. Boom. Yep. There's another one. Uh, but yeah, she like grabs, she goes outside after class, grabs, or doesn't even grab the bird. She takes scissors, Betsy. Uh, the old school scissors metal scissors with the black handle. And cuts the head of the bird off. And takes it. And takes it. Why? It's very upsetting. Yeah. yeah she's so like, I don't know where all of this other shit is coming from, but you have to suspect that that's grandma's influence. Mm-hmm. In some way. It's got to be coming from her. Yeah, and they start the movie like when she's uh, Annie's digging through her mom's box. She has a book called like Notes on Spiritualism. So they establish, okay, she was into some kooky things. So. Well, even at the funeral, Annie says, you know, she was a very private person. She kept to herself and did all these other things that we weren't really privy to. And it's really um, amazing that we have so many people coming to the funeral when I didn't even know she knew so many people. So, some of whom are new faces that I've never seen before. <laughs> and yeah, you could probably 
imagine how many people are going to show up to your parents' funerals. God forbid. Well, and when they're a shut-in, so to speak. Like, her husband has been dead for ever like she yeah. she annie says he died when she was a baby so yeah. she never even knew her dad yeah. her brother's been gone for a long time and this woman has what she identifies as a split personality yeah but apparently what it really is is she's possessed by king Pyman, the eighth lord of the underworld or whatever the hell they said <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. so they set up that okay she was into spiritualism and in the beginning of the movie it seems like harmless enough like she was just interested in it but it becomes very quickly apparent that there are some real evil spiritual forces at work here well and you put some things together here and at one time annie notices that the door of her mom's room is open and she goes in there and there's nothing really left in it except on the floor there's that triangle symbol just on the floor, carved into the carved floor. into the floor, and again, she left her mother alone. She just was like locking her in there, not locking her, but still she leaving just, her in she there. She was just there being to do yeah. whatever, to do her private things. So yeah, it is very much revealing a whole bunch of stuff, but you have no idea what they mean. No, and the first time we really get a sense of that is when Joni. Yeah runs into her in the parking lot and she's like, it's amazing. I I met, I went to a seance and I've had this incredible experience. Also, did you notice she says that her, her son and grandson died? Why do you think that is Trent? Uh-huh. Why do you think all of the men keep uh-huh. dying? <laughs> uh-huh. So like, what's the end game with that whole thing? It might be that, there's more than one of these like king's spirit things in their group so they're trying to do it or it's just a matter of timing so when somebody dies they need to replace them sure and it's whoever now is in line so she had yeah. her son and grandson I very much doubt they drowned in a pool. (laughs) So maybe they were up next and it didn't work. It didn't, or they were supposed to be up, but they did drown in a pool. Sure. I don't know. Or maybe like this is the first like real possession that took. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, you think that Peter's maybe dead because he just flew himself out a window in the attic. Yeah. But he just wakes up and he just kind of goes about his business. And they're like, you are Paimon and we adore you and worship you. And we hail Paimon. Cue the Joni Mitchell music. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very strange. And uh, yeah, yeah. So the spiritual side of things, when they amp it up, they go full on. Like ghosts mm. are real. Spirits are real. Possession is real. Yeah. The skeptics. Uh, like Steve will burn. <laughs> right. And I'll be curious to go back and read some more about this movie. Like after we watched Midsummer, we looked up, there was probably a half a dozen or more just little things, little, very, very subtle things images that are hidden in the background. You're not supposed to see it the first time you watch it. Maybe you catch a glimpse of it in your eye, but you don't know what it is or what it means. I wonder if there's anything like that in this movie. Oh, I guarantee there is. It's yeah. the same person who wrote it too, isn't it? I don't know about writing, but well, directing for sure. The point is, 
if they did it in one, it seems to make sense they might do it in another. Yeah. And there was a lot of like mirrors and things. Well, that like and that warbly light. The warbly light. Just was there a lot of times and sometimes it did something and sometimes it didn't. Yeah. I don't know. Also, that kind of looked like they might have just done that with practical effects. Yes. It just looked like a light. Yeah. And that was part cool. Of, part of what I read here was that they really tried to do as much practically as they possibly could, um, including like the wire work and them relighting that candle during the, that second seance. Oh, yeah. Where it blasts it up blasts and then goes up, out. It goes out and they have to light it again. Yeah. That was all practical. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's some cool stuff like that in here. Apparently, there was also an interview with Tony Collette saying that this director was the most prepared director that she has ever worked with. She said he had the entire, like, every single hour of every single day completely lined up. All the shots were all lined up. He knew exactly what he wanted that movie to look like, and he did it. Some people have that ability to have that kind of that, that Photo- vision. photographic vision in their yeah. head. They say, line it up. It's not right. right. Get it over here. No, like this. Like this. Do it. Action. Perfect. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Next scene. Next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So suffice it to say, the next one of his movies that comes out, we're going to watch. I think you may be right, sir. Yeah. As much as I might not be drawn to it, I found myself enjoying these. Yeah. Like, this one I found more disturbing than the last one. Honestly. I think think Midsummer. Well, remember, we did our award show at the end of last year, and Midsummer was like our number two movie. It it almost almost creeped up to the tippy top. (laughs) Against all odds. That movie almost won our best, our favorite movie of that year. That is completely bonkers to our sensibilities. Right. And whereas that one is shown, like they, the editing is really useful in the storytelling. Uh-huh. This one has a little bit of that. I thought maybe there was a problem with the movie, but then yeah. it seemed too intentional to be a mistake where like they're having an argument and they kind of hop back and forth to different points of the fight where it kind of ebbs and flows. Like it gets, it gets very loud and then it gets quiet and it gets very yeah, loud and it gets quiet very because we're going forward and backward. Yeah. And it only happens a few times, but there's definitely some very intentional choices. Like there's one shot where it's the middle of the night and yeah. then the light goes on and it's right. daytime. <laughs> and it feels like he's just kind of playing with that editing trick. Yeah. Where when you go to Midsummer, it is very pronounced. There is a reason for every single time jump back and forth. Yeah. And as and we talked about it in Midsummer. It's just revealing so much. Yeah. This one is much more. you don't know that it's happening. No, this one is much more of a slow burn. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't fill in all, all the gaps, but it'll definitely fill in most of them. Definitely. Uh, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about is when she makes the revelation about her sleepwalking. Yeah. So Annie tells a story about a few years ago, she woke up. In the bedroom when her two kids were young enough that they were sharing a bedroom. Yeah. 
And she covered all three of them, both of her children and herself, in paint thinner. Hmm. And the thing that woke her up was the sound of the match as she lit the match. Yeah. She was that close to lighting all of them on fire. I'm kind of assuming this is because deep down, in some strange way, she knows that this is really, number one, not what she wanted. And number two, this is more about her mom. Like, for some reason these kids and herself are tied to her mom. And if they're not there, this whole thing can't happen. You could take it a few different ways. You could say that she knows that her kids are going to be used for whatever, whatever evil deeds that this cult is trying to use. Them whether for. she understands that or not. Exactly. Subconsciously, she, subconsciously she, she does. Uh, at the same time, like you said, she didn't want children and her mother forced her to have these children. And what better way to do it than fire? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's a big fuck you to her mother if they all just die, and all of them would die, all including of them, her, including her, and that's yeah. the end of the line because her brother's already gone and her yeah. her dad's gone, yeah, and her mom's now an elderly woman. There's yeah. nobody else left. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's something to be said. Maybe <laughs> she should have just done it, but I well, understand why she stopped herself. She gets, she gets so defensive. Like the the moment after Peter wakes up and she and he's got her hands around his head, like trying to pull his head off. Oh, later in the movie. Later yeah. in the movie, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden she's in the room with him and she's denying, oh, it wasn't me. I, w- I would never do such a thing. There's a lot of that in this movie. But then she gets really defensive. Don't tell your dad. Don't tell Steven. Mm-hmm. Don't tell your dad that I was sleepwalking. Because I think because of what happened with that thing you just said about the the paint thinner, if she continued to do that, she would be put away and uh, institutionalized. And once again, it's really hard to tell, like, was he dreaming that or was she actually doing it? Yeah. It's really hard to tell. And because everybody is grief stricken Mm -hmm. and sleep deprived. Oh yeah. And probably being drugged. Like I'm pretty sure when she went and had tea with Joni, she got drugged because she like wipes her mouth and there's something on her mouth. I'm pretty sure she like drugged her. Well, there was also two different times during the movie that she takes a pill and he takes a pill. The husband takes a pill. And I don't know if that if that's something else about the character that we don't really know about. Again, grief. They're taking a fucking yeah. anti-anxiety medication Maybe. to just get through their fucking Maybe. day. Maybe. I don't know. But clearly hers is not working because she's going to an yeah, 11. But yeah, like the thing on her mouth, I have no idea what that's, a, that's about. I'm assuming that there was something in her drink. Because when later in the movie you find out that Joni is involved in all of this. Yeah. And she's in her, she's on her turf. She's in her apartment. Right. It would make sense that she gave her something. To be more susceptible to being influenced. Maybe. And I mean, the next time we see her, she's painting a miniature of the accident. Oh. Like she has that... her daughter and her mm. daughter's head. And she's just really like so weird and matter of fact. Yeah. It's just very matter of fact. It's a non, it, what did she say? Something like. It's an impartial perspective of the accident. What perspective are you trying to portray here? But the artist is the mother. That's really weird. I think of everything, that is the most disturbing. The fact that she would recreate the most horrific scene 
in recent cinema. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have another thought about that now that I'm saying this out loud. Oh, no. She makes all these miniatures as a form of art, but her daughter also makes all these weird little toys. Yes. Is this just her interpretation of all the crap her mom has been doing to her her entire life? Like, she's been groomed. It's just that the way she has interpreted it, it's turned into self-expression and art which is why she does real life scenes from real life like she does some really disturbing ones of like her mom being an elderly woman like standing in the doorway right yeah and like she's not getting her her assignment done let's say the project that she's working on she keeps on working on other things to get it out of her head i guess yeah all these different scenes of horrific horrific places and people and even the fucking like hospital where her mother is dying. I, I I imagine like one of the first ones that we see is the hospital room, the hospice or whatever. Yeah. 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 So I, I think that's probably something to that where when she was young, she was being groomed for this, but then she cut herself off from her mother because she recognized her as manipulative and you know, she couldn't deal with her disassociative personality thing yeah and to go backwards one more time and i think we got to wrap this up to go backwards when she goes to the first meeting i think the revelations that she's that she's throwing out here number one her acting in that scene is i think the best acting in the entire movie Mm -hmm. just her like crossing her arms and eventually getting it all out well and she says like i came here a few years ago they made me right like i had i had to like somebody made her go to this and they don't explore that no but they made her i wonder if maybe her husband made her yeah and yeah she kind of slowly opens up and then you get glimpses of this really fucked up way she grew up and this Mm -hmm. woman who she doesn't really feel bad about losing and she's like saying I feel some blame for some of this other stuff. What stuff? I don't know, but right. I am I am blamed. Yeah. I am blamed. Not not be I don't feel guilty, but somehow people are blaming me for it. Yeah. Again. Yeah. It's hereditary. Oh god. Genetics. Let's see. <laughs> well, let's wrap this up, Trent. Do you have any other final thoughts about this before we go to the email? It was fucked up. That's what. That's my final thought. It's a fucked up movie, but I liked it. <laughs> well, all right. Well, let's go to an email then. All right. We have an email from our super fan, Stephanie, about the second movie in Never Scream It this year, The Evil Dead. I have only seen the first two, and they are so fun. They are dumb and campy, and I love them. Betsy said, quote, Sam Raimi is kind of known for having fun and being weird, end quote. Man, don't we all wish that could be what we are known for? (laughs) If anyone says, oh man, that's Stephanie, she is so serious and stoic, I am doing something wrong in life. Yeah, good point. I love how low budget it is, but still managed to hit all the beats. Cabin in the Woods does a really good send-up of Evil Dead. It does? Mind you, we got this email before... Uh, she knew we were watching that movie Uh too. I would also love to see a Scorsese West Side Story. Love, superfan Stephanie. (laughs) So, something about, and we didn't know this because we haven't watched the movie, of course. We were on the Apple TV store 
and they were advertising a bunch of like Halloween type movies. They had a category. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the Evil Dead Two was on there, and I decided, okay, we've seen the first one. Let's watch the trailer for Evil Dead Two, and Betsy. It just looks like he remade the Evil Dead on a better budget. And a slightly altered script. Yeah. Only slightly. Because it really seems like they're going to the same cabin. It's still Ash. It's still the book. It's still the Necronomicon. Yep, yep. The guy on the recording whose wife was possessed. Saying the bunch of saying a bunch of Latin yep. and the camera whooshes through the woods and there's stuff coming out of the ground. Yeah. It really seems like he just remade his first movie with a budget. But we haven't watched it, so we'll reserve final judgment until whenever we do watch it. I guess. But I've had a number of people the last couple of days, like my uncle loves these kinds of old movies from the 70s and yeah. 80s. And he said, Evil Dead 2 is the best. Okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, good to know. But thank you, Stephanie, for yes. sending us that email. We know that she is a fan of this genre, and we figured she'd have things to say <laughs> about our movie selections. Uh-huh. But if you would like to contribute, which of the Evil Deads is the best Evil Dead? Do you like Hereditary more than Midsummer or less? How I, many I, decapitations <laughs> is too many? <laughs> I think we could have had a few more decapitations in this one. <laughs> but if you would like to share your thoughts on any of those topics or any of the other movies that we have covered here on the podcast or you think we should cover, you can email us to neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, neverseenit underscore pod. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, neverseenitpod1. That's the number one. If you'd like to support the show, Follow the link in the podcast description and you could throw us a buck. But that's going to be it for another year, another round of Never Scream It. We're going to go back to just a little bit of whatever we feel like yeah. for a while. I am treating this like The Simpsons. In season one of The Simpsons, they didn't do a Treehouse of Horror. They waited till season two, which is exactly <laughs> what we're doing. This is Never Scream It volume one. All right. So next year, we'll do it all over again. But we might fucking sprinkle some in throughout the year because, hey, I'm getting a taste for this stuff. Oh, I, God. I, I kind of like it. What have we done to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but clearly people are responding to it, and we, we thank everybody for, for listening. We are done with this series. We are moving on, like Betsy said, to whatever we want. We got a few things actually planned. We're going to start to go to the theater again. There's brand new movies coming out. It's getting to be that time of year. It's almost Oscar season once again. It's happening. And we like to have a head start, so this is the time of year we're watching for those movies that have a little bit of buzz. So there's going to be some of that, some of this, and who knows what else. Whatever tickles our fancy as we wind down the year of 2022. Yes, Trent, I said wind down because it's almost the end of October. Q4. (laughs) But with that, this has been Never Seen It. I am Betsy. And I'm Trent. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.